0: Jerry Fragon and Doug Connolly work for Taylor Fragon Capital Management. All opinions expressed should not be relied upon for your individual investment advice. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Taylor Fragon Capital Management and its clients may maintain positions with securities discussed. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from Taylor Fragon Capital Management. If you are a Taylor Fragon client, please remember to contact Taylor Fragon in writing if there are any changes in your personal financial situation or investment objectives, for the purpose of reviewing, evaluating, or revising our previous recommendations and/or services, or if you would like to impose, add, or to modify any reasonable restrictions to our investment advisory services. A copy of Taylor Fragon Capital Management's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request.
1: Welcome again to this week's episode of the Long Only Podcast. I'm Doug. I am Gerard. How's it going, Jerry? It's going wrong. Well. going well. It's
2: been a while. I can't complain. Yeah. I could. Interesting. Maybe we should have a complaint podcast. Nah. Yeah.
1: That's what people need. Yes. Do you know the podcast is, isn't the brash, like, realistic optimism for life in the markets? So a complaining podcast, a complaining episode might have to cut that.
2: I was going to complain about things like the DH. The designated hitter. Yeah. Okay. So it would be pretty innocuous. So you're
1: a National League guy? Yes. The, so the Giants are National League? Yes. Were you a Giants fan? Yes. Still? Um, yes. Okay. Who else, if it weren't the Giants, who would be your favorite team
2: now? That's a tough one. Anybody who's playing the Dodgers. Okay. So you realize the Dodgers are our priest's favorite team. Who? Our priests. Oh, my gosh. You shouldn't have told me. Did you not know that? I did not know that. No, he's a big Dodger. Oh, boy. Yes. All right.
1: Sorry I, I know it. Yeah, he's he's a big guy. Nice. Um. So anyway, now that I've been you, I'm going to have
2: to save his soul.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So the topic for this week is. I don't what? like. Well, never mind. No, go
2: no, ahead. What? No, no, no. No, ahead. I was just going to talk no, no, about no, no, our jobs. Nothing we're going to get off baseball. It makes F- me. It, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah, baseball. Baseball. Go ahead. It okay. hurts. Go All ahead. right. They've ruined my game, but let's move on.
1: Oh, but they've ruined everything else. That's true. And who are they? The
2: ruiners. Yes.
1: Well, we're going to talk about something today. It actually is a hat hat tip to my brother, Sean, who's an advisor as well. But we were talking shop yesterday and he asked a good question of you. Uh, He said, what makes a,
2: I'm trying to think of the best the way he worded it, but. I think it was something along the lines of what's more important, maybe like management or product.
1: Or how do you avoid the trap of a great product and not right. good management or yes. which means, which turns into a great product, not a good company. Correct. Yep. I guess the short
2: answer is it seems to me that bad management can trump everything, right? You can, yes. It's like, uh, you can have a bad, you can have a good house in a bad neighborhood and maybe still do okay because it's well managed. <laughs> um, but anyone who's watched the Fixer Upper knows the neighborhood is going to matter more.
1: I think the neighborhood matters it, more. It, it does,
2: but yeah. what I'm trying to get at is you could have a great neighborhood and a dilapidated frummy house, and it's not going to be worth what the nicer ones are. It's now, true. granted, someone might see in that an opportunity, and there is, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's, if you don't have the right people running the program, the, the product is generally not going to be able to save it. All right. So thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the long one. i no, just kidding.
1: So. <laughs> That's it. We're That's done. It. That's it. Well, so how do we avoid that trap? And again, this is something you see fairly often. I mean, people I think of in my own life, when I went into business for myself in this, in this business, I overestimated the, the research piece and underestimated mm-hmm. the sales piece. And so people are often putting the cart before the horse in various things. And I think people sort of had
2: this idea, if you build a great product, then they will, si- come. they will come. And I think there's probably instances of that. I don't want to suggest that it's never happened, that a product is so good that it's doesn't sell itself to some extent. But eventually, I think bad management will catch up with it. Agreed. And so how do you avoid that? That's one of the things I think you were going to ask. Yeah. How
1: do you, how do we avoid falling into that trap? Um, what kind of due
2: diligence avoids those situations? So this is where, you know, as we've said, I think uh, I know a lot of times over my history, I don't know whether or not it said it on this podcast or not. How many episodes have we done now? This is going to be episode 35. Wow. And I didn't realize it was been that many. Um, You can't, you can't underestimate the amount of time it takes to develop an understanding of what makes for good management. Um, And you need to get to, there's an ability to be able to ask questions that management doesn't necessarily know what you're trying to get at. Because at the end of the day, most managements are really good salespeople and will sell you and tell you what they perceive you want to hear or what you're telling them you want to hear. I mean, if you're completely, you know, you know, just act, asking very easy questions. Well, to that point softball type questions, then it's, then they're going to be able to tell you recognize what it is that you're trying to get to and, and answer it in the, in a way that, that is reflecting as the best it possibly can on, on them. And this well, isn't to take anything away from me. That's what, you know, their job is to sell their company and sell their product. Um, I suppose one could say, well, if they're really good at that, then maybe they are good. (laughs) But no, you know, you, you, you have to be able to, and then, and you have to be able to ask questions properly. And then you also have to, um, this is where we separate art from science yet again. And that's what I meant. I've said this before on, and I don't know if I've said it on this podcast is I think there's a lot more art to money management than there is science, despite what the world wants to tell you. Well, and, and, and this, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind modern 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 portfolio theory modern money management modern finance modern economics is so mathematics based and while i have nothing against mathematics i kind of like mathematics that's not what free enterprise is, is based on it's, it and this this also ties into what we've said about Let's focus on free enterprise, not free markets. Markets are a mechanism. Markets are a tool in, in which we are, you know, trying to gain price discovery, which we another podcast on how that's kind of going out the window these days, in my opinion, and in in what I think is a very broken market mechanism. But nonetheless, um, it's, it's not all about math. It's about people. People are what make products. People are what make companies. People are what make economies for that matter. And so it becomes it, what, what we see it as being is we, when you start engaging with a company, that's the beginning of a relationship that you're building with the company to try and get a sense of what they're all about. And we had a call with a company today that was, uh, you know, it's a company that's been struggling and they have some great promise, But we were really at a point where we were questioning management and, uh, you know, we had to, and the the management was clearly sensing that's what we were doing. So it wasn't like we were pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. But uh, frankly, the answers that those, that management team gave to what our challenges were, were certainly enough for us to sit back and say, you know what, We, we need to give these guys a chance to play this out. Um, where of that and that that's something that's developed over time. You don't necessarily do that on the first call. That's why, for us, the process of finding a company it's it's very rare that we will come to a company that we've you know or we're, that we're looking at a company that we've um, make a decision to buy it on on one conversation or in any, in any really short period of time, it takes time. We tend to keep things, we call it our observation deck. We tend to keep names on our observation deck uh, for quite a while, Some sometimes, not always. There are some some circumstances where we've done due diligence relatively quickly because it was becoming obvious to us that this is something we really, really wanted and it fit our narratives and what have you. But most of our companies end up spending some time on the on what we call the observation deck. And we treat those companies and the management as if we own them. Um, as a means to get to know them it 's truly an observation we 're going to observe what these guys do how they how they function, and so that 's part of the separation of product and management. You hear people talk about product process people all right process is like the business the strategy as to how you 're going to you know sell your product and how, how you know how you 're going to make your product if it 's a product that 's produced in a manufacturing type format but <clears throat> Yeah, that's, that is definitely art <laughs> and, and it takes time and, and I think experience. And, you know, it's why also when we have these conversations often, not always, but often when we have conversations with businesses, there's, there's two or three of us on the call and we'll finish afterwards with a huddle or a, what, what we'll call a debriefing where we will, we will all say, okay, what do you, how do you think that went? We want to we want to get everybody's perspective, analyst, director of research, myself, um, all of our, our our take on the on the conversation. You know, what did you hear? Did you hear what I heard? Did that sound like it was a particularly important inflection point and something we hadn't heard before? Really like those kinds of things because sometimes that's positive, sometimes it's negative. We don't we don't like to be surprised by what our management. Teams are telling us. So this is this is the this is the process that we use to determine um, do we have a well managed company. Um, it's actually a lot easier to figure out if you have a good or to find, to determine if you have a good product. It's harder to determine if you have a well managed company. And this also gets into
1: the idea. There's a lot of directions we could go with this, but but there, this also gets into the idea of sometimes the right management. It's not necessarily of. It's not necessarily a question of good management versus bad management versus good manage- management or bad management for the time. You get to the point where the person who founded the company can't take it to a next to the next level, right. as well. Right. Which we see What is that? The founder's dilemma that they 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 call that. Yeah,
2: and and a lot of times what you come up with in in our venture and capital endeavors were in private companies. You know, and it's not necessarily the fault of the entrepreneur who or the founder or the inventor or whatever you want to call them. Um, the really good ones recognize when they've reached their limit and they step aside. And then <clears throat> they try and bring someone in that w- they can, they can ramp the company to the next level. And that's pretty normal. I mean, even in the public markets, there are, you can have a company that's a public company even. And there's a, you know, someone that maybe he even had come along after the original founders and took it from you know, startup phase and sort of mid-cycle phase to end growth stage and then public, now it's becoming a pretty established company as a public company. And it needs yet again, another, uh, you know, leader that, that has more experience in the, you know, as you're, maybe it's a company that's now trying to go more global and, and you know, you, you need a different management team. Um, it's pretty rare that you find a company that can go from, you know, startup to, you know, multinational corporation with the same leadership. That's pretty rare.
1: Yeah, and the situation can dictate things. I mean, sometimes you need to turn around
2: CEO. You need a Lou Holtz. And actually, technology. yeah, well, yeah, and actually, a lot of times what you get is it's perfect. And we like this kind of situation where the where the founders still involved because usually they're brilliant technicians, especially on the technology side. They're they're great technologists. They're great engineers. They're great programmer. Whatever. Um, love it when they're still involved with the company, but they're not running the thing anymore. Um, and so. You know, that, that's that's a perfectly normal progression. In fact, the company that we are discussing today is exactly that situation. It's the founder still involved, but it was a, you know, a young guy that recognized that he hadn't done anything like this before and he brought someone in that could help and, and hopefully they're on their way.
1: And I think most great CEOs probably understand some concept of comparative advantage. It's that even if you truly can do everything better than everyone else, which sometimes is true. I'm thinking of the... CEO we were talking about yesterday for uh i don't know if you want to say the say the name particularly brilliant can do ev- can do everything but is getting out of the technological uh the, the engineering and the coding He so can code mm-hmm. 40, 40 hours a week mm-hmm. that necess- that is necessarily the best use of his time correct and and so so sometimes you know it's best it's good to know when you've got all these things to consider is what is there someone better than this than me and even if there is no one better than me, where is my time best
2: leveraged? Right. That's a, that's a key one, too. And then that, that actually, that instance might be one where there's someone that could take it from soup to nuts. And there, there, there's a, there are those rare, you know, Bezos, Benioff type folks that that can really do the whole, take it from from startup to multinational global corporation. But Not you, many.
1: Not many. And you talked about asking questions earlier. One of the, that's where it starts because, and maybe I'm projecting my experiences and other people, but when you're exploring a company, generally you're looking for reasons to invest. I don't mean that's what you should be doing. I don't mean that's what we do, but most people, when they're researching a company, uh, the amateur looks for reasons to invest. And that's why if you, if you're asking softball questions, you're looking to confirm your decision to invest and you're going to get answers that you're going to get softball answers that make the company look better than it is.
2: Yeah. And you never know. It's one of, I mean, why do we own 30 to 50 companies in our core growth strategy? Because you'd never know when someone's good at snowing you. I mean, we, you get, you learn to be pretty good at gauging people, engaging the room and figuring out when someone's giving you a, a line of, you know what, but, you never can be certain, but that's also why it's so important that over time you keep measuring that. You keep, you know, you're remembering it. We keep, you know, copious notes and keep them in the record so we can go back and and verify. Well, what did they say the last time? And is that consistent? I mean, where a big red flag comes up for us if us, if something has been revealed to us in a call with management that contradicts what they had said in the past huge red flag. I mean, obviously, but you know, it, it takes pretty, it it takes a pretty high degree of attention to detail to make sure that you can, sometimes it's nuanced. It's not obvious. It's like, wait a minute, that's not consistent. Can we, let's go back and and usually this comes out in our, in our uh, debriefing session and say, let's go back and look at the notes of the, of the, you know, four calls ago, which might've been a year ago or more and didn't they say X, Y, Z, and now they're saying A, B, C. And then that's a reason to immediately get back on the call and say, oh, you know, we were going back through our notes. and Recall the previous conversation where you said this, now you're saying this. Can you explain? Sometimes they can explain themselves, but if they can't, that's a problem. Anyway, those are, those are some tidbits on how you might determine where you, you know, where you might be in a situation where you might love the business, you might love the product, but eh, this isn't a management team that we want to be you know, having run our company. There are other times, there have been times, however, where I've said, you know, just from a, a, a meeting with somebody, this is somebody I want running my company. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's that obvious. You know, there's no doubt this is somebody I want running my company. And I can tell you that... <clears throat> I can't think of a time over the years where we've walked away from an initial meeting saying that, and that didn't end up being the truth. That didn't end up being the fact. So, so as much as we, I like to say, you know, we like to court these companies. We like to talk to them for a long time. In that rare instance where it's come up right off the bat. This is somebody I want running my company. It's ended up working out. There are, when you know, you know, scenarios. there are you, when you know, you know, so don't let, don't let the, <laughs> I'm going to say, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good enough. That that's, that's wrong. We can talk about that too with respect to product versus management, but, um, it's, it's, it, don't, don't ignore your initial impression. Um, and, and say, well, no, but I got to go through all these checkboxes, <laughs> and I need to watch them for six months to a year. Yeah, you might actually have a company that you need to buy right now, tomorrow morning, as soon as the market opens. you know Or it's a venture play, and you're like, I'm giving these guys money. I mean, a lot of venture capitalists have said, yeah, I know the minute I meet people, if I'm going to give them money. <laughs> um, and I think that's actually pretty true. Of course, you still go through your due diligence yep. process, but…
1: Well, oftentimes we do things There's I'm, this is behavior finance one oh one, but we do things, we do things to justify our decision. We think, oh, this is what, this is what level of due diligence to justify this decision when really the due diligence isn't always necessary. It, it helps us feel better about it, but at the end of the you day. You have to
2: do it for qualification yeah. and, you know, satisfaction and legal <laughs> and all those things. But um, oftentimes, well, I want to say oftentimes, but it, a lot of times, you know, right away. Yeah. And, and, uh, and in our experience, it's been more often that it's a bad management team than a bad product. We're usually able to tell the business. We can figure out that the business is good. The product is good. The management team's harder. It's the hardest part. We probably could repurpose
1: a lot of this podcast. Just change a few words here and there and make it a dating and relationship.
2: Episode. <laughs> <laughs> It's like speed dating when you go into the venture capital pitch world. Yeah.
1: When, when you, uh, something you said earlier about the don't let perfect be the enemy of good enough. Yeah. Something I think of, I could be sounding like an amateur here, but Hey, you know me uh, with regard to, um, I heard someone say something to the tune of uh, when it's set. Seth Godin said it. Um, great. Uh, you know, great managers or great, um, great founders or whatever it was, ship. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to get it out you've got it to the to the people. So
2: there's there's a definite the, the the letting the perfect be the enemy of the good enough is definitely a very major problem, especially again in startups or or growing private companies trying to get to market. Um, it's that tinkering. Mentality that comes from engineers and and inventors and founders of that created a technology. It's natural. Um, I would say that's probably one of the greatest functions that a venture capital company or venture capitalist can bring to the table to a small startup company is being able to help them through. Guess what, guys? This is a great product. You're going to have to be working on it from here to eternity. Get it out the door. (laughs) You know, get it, get it going. Get to the market. they tend to want to play with things and play with things and tinker. And it's, that's a mistake.
1: Well, and to apply it to another domain, you know, great writers, true pros meet deadlines. Yeah. They have, they have these deadlines. And you see lots of examples of these, these legendary old school writers, because they knew at the end of the day, you can sit and, you know, polish your, yeah. polish your manuscript and your perfect play for, but at the end of the day, there's a certain level of, of competency that is, is exhibited and developed and honed by having to meet these regular deadlines that many of the, uh, you know, the, the newspaper men of old times knew.
2: Yeah. All
1: right. Any other final nuggets for us?
2: Nope.
1: All right. That's it. So you start going to tell me what you're going to say about baseball
2: earlier. Uh, we need to do a whole podcast someday on baseball. Well, how about I? I don't want to do a whole podcast. Like I can that. equate baseball to investing easily. I'm, yep, I'm sure you could. But no, I'm not. It'll take too long. Uh, all I know about baseball, the
1: Ty Cobb book by Charles Learson. Great. Ty Cobb was this. one of the
2: most misunderstood players out there. Yes, In the yes, history definitely. of baseball. We've
1: definitely said this before in the podcast because this yeah. is all I know about. Okay. This is all I know about baseball. All right. I, I shouldn't say not, not quite all, but the, the Ty Cobb biography is great. He he was. He's not a saint, but and he wasn't the guy in the movie.
2: No. No much more interesting in real life yeah All Jeff right. Beck pardon Jeff Beck passed away oh the guitarist yeah I didn't know that 78 kind of on a media fast you know? I know so I we work in media in a way so I can't help how did the, the markets react to Jeff Beck passing away <sighs> Well, the market was up slightly. We had a good day today, so I guess we didn't care. Our portfolio reacted very well. The Jeff yes, it did. But, but. He's 78 years old. Amazing. These guys are getting old. They are. So We're getting old. All right, rest I'm
1: in peace, old. Jeff Beck. What was his big uh, song? The only song I remember from him is a, do, a People Get Ready duet with Rod Stewart, I think. And I.
2: Well, he was a guitarist, Yardbirds. He, he, he took over for Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds, I think. But brother. he did a lot of solo work too. Well, that's all he did at the end. But yeah. it's mostly solo, as in like instrumental type stuff. I think. I'm not. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan, but I know he was a great. I know he's good, would, but he was. <laughs> I'm. I'm a little before his time, so
1: it's like Joe Satriani. Name a Joe Satriani song. Yeah. It like, no one knows. Yeah. No one. Yeah. So. All right. Well, rest in peace, Jeff Beck, and also we'll see you next week in the meantime check us out com. please rate us review us download us subscribe to us until then i'm doug i'm jerry we'll see you next week